Hey, you guys see, it's Brody here, and of course, next to me is uh, is Matt, who you all know and love. And uh, I've just, it's come to my attention that Matt doesn't know how to eat a carrot. That is completely not true. I'm probably one of the few people who does know how to eat a carrot. I was watching Matt eat a carrot before. He, he came with the ends, both ends already bitten off. So not, you know, just before he started eating it, but at the start of the day. And then he proceeded to eat it like a cob of corn. Yeah, okay, so, okay, there's a few things that you need to be aware of as somebody God who's... God made carrots straight and thin for a reason. Yeah, 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 and he also made them with a core and an outer layer for a reason. So, okay, What's my... the reason? You still ate the whole thing. Yeah, 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 but don't you want to, like, explore God's creation in such a way that you actually <laughs> peel apart the outer layer and then see the core for what it is? No! I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just pursuing science. <laughs> Um, and for the record, you wouldn't know this because you are a um, unenlightened Neanderthal no, when it comes science. to carrot eating. I'm sure I yeah, yeah, science. you may have studied science, but did you know that the core of the carrot is sweeter than the outside right, shell? Right, so you're you're having your savory and then dessert in, yeah. in one carrot. Yep, yep, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's 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 the food that just keeps giving. <laughs> well, here we are today to see into the core of today's. You, know, that's a bad <laughs> you should have kept going. You shouldn't have pulled uh, out. That would have been a beautiful segue. I got embarrassed about. Yeah, yeah, but you balked and everyone's not going to remember anything but the fact that you failed to execute. <laughs> Just like uh, the Israelites. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Israelites in today's passage, um, which is a much better segue, I'll give you that. Um, we're not going to waste too much time, we're going to jump straight in. Uh, just a reminder to you that uh, we have changed the format of the podcast for the better. Um, four sections have become two sections. The first is leading the group. Uh, where we kind of look at uh, how we went last week, but then think about an aspect of leading. Uh, and then the second section, of course, is teaching the text, uh, whereby we'll discuss the passage uh, that you'll be leading next week. Mm, fun times. Um, yeah, so would you like to kick us off in prayer and we'll jump straight in? Sure thing. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us as we think about your word, as we think about our Bible study groups. Help us to be wise. And we pray that we would listen well to your voice, that we would obey you. And so continue following the sun. Amen. Amen. Great prayer, especially given today's passage. But before we get there, let's have a look at what it looks like to lead a Bible study group. Um, let's do a recap uh, of what I observed this week. Now, admittedly, I only get to see four or five studies. I don't get to see all of you, so I'm sorry that that's not the case. Um, however, I will be making an effort in the next month or two to actually get around to all of your groups and sit in and completely ruin the group dynamics so that I can give you feedback on a completely dynamically ruined group. So um, I was talking to somebody about this earlier this week, actually. And it's like um, if any of you drive a manual car and you crunch the gears, like the only time I crunch the gears is when I drive my dad anywhere. Uh, uh, it's just like, so, you know, when Matt turns up, that's when things will get all up upsetting and it won't really portray reality, but that's okay. Um, what I did observe this week, um, off the back of last week's podcast, we talked about landing the plane. And so I was particularly looking out for an application of that to see whether you guys had taken on the advice um, about how you might do that. I want to say that I was actually really encouraged. I, I saw every group I was in, I saw actively trying to put into practice uh, what it is that we talked about. Mm. Um, so being focused on where you were landing, the, the landing strip, but also thinking about the various stages of the journey and how to get there in a timely fashion. Um, I will say, though, that the majority of the groups I was in, though trying to land the plane, either didn't land the plane and just flew past the airport, 
or uh, to their credit, they crashed <laughs> yeah, as, they, the ground. <laughs> as, they, as they tried to land. That's right. Um, and, and again, I, I say that more as a, um, a light-hearted um, jibe rather than any sort of serious critique. Again, I, I was just really impressed that we tried, um, and I'm actually seeing improvement across uh, the board. The thing that I want to point out, though, just for our own continued growth, is that I think the reason we didn't cinch the knot and land the plane um, in most cases, actually all the cases that I saw, was not because of a, a, a lack of consciousness of time. It was actually just a lack of clarity of where we were going. Um, and we may not have served you well there because of our summary statement where we basically just said the main point of the passage is that it is Jesus' assumption of um, humanity that allows, us, allows him to save us. Um, and maybe we could have been a bit more specific. Um, it is Jesus suffering in his humanity that enabled us, enabled him to save us. Um, in other words, what happened was people kind of, they abstracted too quickly when we asked the question right at the end, um, why did Jesus need to become human to save us? And they jumped straight to like the classic answers that we know from our theology that are correct. Like um, Jesus was our sacrifice. He substituted in our place. He, he was the perfect sacrifice that we couldn't be. Uh, but in answering that way, what, what became apparent is that they weren't grounding their answer in the text. They were grounding it in pre-existing theological whatever it was that they had. Mm. Um, and so what we missed is we missed the, the, the particular contribution Hebrews 2 gives us as to why Jesus suffered in the flesh. Um, and that was so that he would become a merciful and faithful high priest. Um, so just something to kind of throw out there. I think that was the thing that we missed this week as we tried to land the plane. Um, and as a, as a pro tip for you to watch out in the future weeks, uh, the way you know whether your group has grasped it and you have landed that plane safely on the runway is by listening to their answers to that final question, that final application question. Uh, because as I heard the answers to the question, how would you explain to your classmates why Jesus had to become human, uh, they were talking about the sacrifice thing and I didn't hear anything about a high priest. I didn't actually even hear anything about the notion of suffering. And, and that to me says, okay, they haven't gotten it. Another way you can tell is by the prayers that they pray as well, I think, mm. Uh, mm. When, when you pray at the end. And that's more a general sign of maturity too. How do people pray? Is it in light of what you've said? Or have they just gone to what they already knew? Yeah, and actually a really helpful aside there from Brody because um, it's something that you can do as a leader at the end of your study mm. to reinforce the main point of the study. Mm. Um, and so praying along the lines of the main point really helpful which is what Brody actually modeled to us a couple of minutes ago when he opened for us in prayer. Oh, yeah. And hopefully he'll model for us again when he closes. Well, maybe it's your turn to model. Okay, well, we'll, we'll do an arm wrestle before the podcast is out and done. You can um, assume that I'll win. Cause, um, yeah. yeah. What, what I will say, though, um, as just reflecting again on, on this week just gone, there was a net positive. So I don't want you to be discouraged. Like I said, I saw you all putting into practice what you're learning, and so now it's just a matter of time before you really nail it. Um, the net positive really is that every group grappled with Jesus' humanity and mm. why it was necessary for the Son, who was greater than angels, to, for a short while, be made lower than them uh, for our benefit and sake. So I actually think the groups, all of the groups, got a lot out of it. So I just wanted to thank you very much for your faithful teaching. Um, I think I've just been really blessed. Uh, this ministry doesn't happen without you. Uh, you guys really are the, the, the central cog in the system because you're the ones that run our main... Um, oh, the word escapes me. What am I trying to talk about? The, the thing, the driver, the thing that drives the ministry, which is the Bible studies. 
Um, so I'm just really thankful and I want to say keep going. Um, and with that in mind, I don't want to partic- uh, pick on any particular issue that I observed this week. I just want to take the next logical step um, and for the next couple of minutes talk about uh, generating discussion. Um, and the reason I want to do that is because uh, the groups that I have enjoyed the most, uh, the groups that you tend to get the most out of are the ones that are, are healthily discussing with one another rather than falling into patterns of question and answer, mm. uh, leader speaks, somebody else speaks, leader then speaks, and then the pattern continues. There's a couple of reasons why you might have different types of discussions in the group. You know, there's just the nature of the people who are in the group. So if you've not got very many chatty people or people who haven't been in groups before, then it, it might be that discussion just doesn't flow naturally. Mm. But that doesn't mean that as a leader, there aren't things you can do to help everyone. No, as with most things with group formation, it will take time for people to get um, warmed up. Mm. So I know one particular person in a Bible study last semester that I led didn't say anything unless called on. And this semester, she's offering things. Great. I know, which is very, very cool. But it does take a lot of time. So temper your expectations, guys. And don't feel like you're a raging pile of failure if you can't get things happening in a week or two. A raging pile of failure? Yeah, 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 yeah. How many piles of failure do you see raging around? Well, usually if I look in the mirror, I see quite a few. <laughs> um, Bible study leading is hard. I've been doing it for ten over 10 years now, and I've gotten better, but there are still days where I'm just like, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> and, and God is kind to users, right? There are some times when you might do the exact same thing two weeks in a row, but one day it works because everyone's feeling yeah. chatty, but another week it doesn't. Oh, if they're, if they're flat, they're tired, they've got assignments, whatever it is. But like Brady said before, there are things that we can actively do to mitigate uh, that or make the impact, the negative impact of those things less. Or make the most of the discussion that you have been having. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, And so what are some of the things we can think about? Well, I I think just to to summarize, I think the key problem really, when discussion dies, it's the leader speaking. Mm. And so we need to formulate ways that you as a leader can still lead actively um, thoughtfully, uh, but without engaging in the discussion as much as possible. Mm. Um, and so the first thing to do is actually be quiet. <laughs> now that might surprise you, um, but it also may be um, something that you do more readily than not. Um, but one of the ways you can actually stimulate discussion is to for you to stop talking and contributing to it. That way other people have to fill that space. Mm. Um, now, I know that might be really hard for some of you because you just hate awkward silences. Uh, welcome to Bible study leading. It's time to embrace them. Um, people need time to think. Uh, people need time to settle. And so if you can just be non-awkward about silence, that's the first good step to stimulating discussion. There are some people who leave too long silences, but they're in the minority. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And, and if you're listening to this and that's your problem, I think you know who you are. Um, <laughs> and, and that'll be that. Um, but one of the other things you can do, uh, other than silence, um, is that you can redirect questions. Mm. And so one of the things that I fell into a habit very early on in, in Bible study leading, which was, was not a good thing, is that I felt the need to respond every time somebody else said something. And so I suddenly became the gateway for every comment, question, um, bodily noise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, becomes, it becomes dialogue rather than discussion because it's just, it's you and the leader and one person at a time from the group. Yeah, it's like a game of ping pong. You're on one end of the table and then you've got all 10 of your group members on the other end sharing a paddle. Yeah, which um, is unhelpful because not only does it stifle discussion, 
it also makes you kind of the authority on everything in a way uh, because you kind of you're the one that has to say yeah that's good or oh, that's not quite right yeah, or, that's not all yeah 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 i mean in, in the end you you are as the leader you are the leader of the group so there, there's some truth to that but at the same time it's so much more helpful to have someone else in the group go oh no i don't think that's right mm. look it says this here or, mm. or whatever and so this, the starting point really would be to when when somebody says something to you, you choose not to respond, or if they insist and say, "Well, is is that right? What do you think?" Redirect. Now, this is like the the most basic thing that you can do. You can actually just go go to the group and say, "What do you guys think?" Um, thing I was just said this. Um, the thing that I explicitly did last semester, some of you might remember it, is as soon as somebody asked a question, I would go, "All right, somebody's asked a question, which means it's a question for the group." Um, what do you guys reckon? Mm. Um, and it, it sounds really clunky. It sounds it, it, it's, it does, doesn't seem artful at all. But what it is is it's training your group to be thinking, oh, when a question is asked, that's not the leader's role to answer. That's actually a chance for us to weigh in and think and, and mm. deliberate. Mm. Another good way that you can go about it is, uh, is just leaving that awkward pause. And then when no one contributes... Turn it into a, a chat to the person next to you. Because uh, that way everyone has to talk, right? Mm. And so you can even just say, all right, look, just talk about this 30 seconds, person next to you. Talk about it. And then everyone's got something to say because they've just talked about it. And then you can get people to feed in. Mm. Um, I also really like, I don't know if this maybe doesn't always work. Maybe I'm just like this. But uh, getting everyone to vote on something. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of do that. All right, everyone has to choose. On the count of three, we're all going to go thumbs up or thumbs down. And you know, give them the thing that they've got to agree to or disagree, and see what comes out. Yeah. And it's never that everyone agrees. So then you've got already got two people who are going to have a discussion with each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you can stimulate that even if, if if that doesn't automatically happen, and just go, well, hang on. So you guys are disagreeing here. Um, person C who agreed with the first guy, why did why did you agree with him? What was the thing? Uh, okay, cool. And how would you over there respond to what person C's just said? Person D. Yeah, like, and you could even be more explicit and say, "All right, guys, we're going to have a debate." <laughs> so you set them up in teams, and then they yeah. need to have rebuttals, and you know. Oh, I think that's at the extreme end. Maybe of that's the the extreme. That, that would be something that you you would um, pull out every week, but that's just in a way of actually pitting things against each other. But really, what you may have noticed here is that um, what you are not doing is you're not answering. Mm. You're not passing judgment. You're not being conclusive in any way. What you're trying to do is keep the momentum moving. In other words, you're asking questions rather than giving answers. Um, and I think that's really significant if you want to build discussion. You've just got to keep asking questions. Mm. And so like I said to you a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, um, those questions that you have on your Bible studies that we sent out to you, there's usually five or six, they're the key questions. Think of them as the, the gateways or the milestones that you need to reach as building blocks to get to that final main point, that landing strip that you already have in your head because you've remembered the box. Um, but you will be inserting four, five times as many questions potentially in, in between those five questions to actually get you there. Because sometimes asking those questions won't be sufficient. You actually just need to get people going. And so one of the things we've done is we, um, we wanted to draw your attention to a, a, a set of different types of questions that you could possibly use to stimulate discussion. It's from a book called Growth Groups. You can get this at Matthias Media, shameless plug. Really, really helpful. Um, 
There are five. Let's go through them. Um, I'll start off and we'll just alternate. Sounds good. Um, the first question that they offer for you to be aware of is extending questions. And what do they mean by extending questions? Well, they mean questions like, what can you add to that? Or how would you explain that more fully? So these are really useful in particular for groups um, where people offer very short answers without much detail. You can actually seize on that and actually get them talking more and say, well, what do you mean by that? Um, can you elaborate? Can you put some flesh on those bones? Mm. So those are extending questions. Which is quite similar to clarifying questions as well. It's just getting a bit of definition on what exactly they mean or if they've said something that's not totally clear or it seems like not everyone in the group has followed, getting them to rephrase it and clarify what they're trying to say. Yeah, so that's the second set, clarifying questions. And yeah, I have blended the two, so that's a helpful distinction. One builds, another clarifies. Uh, the third set of questions that you could ask are justifying questions. Uh, and this is really the bread and butter of Bible study leading. What reason can you give for that answer? Uh, how would you explain that from the passage? Um, show me which verse it's from. Um, so things like that are really helpful because it actually it roots them in the text and actually gets them to justify mm. why they think that rather than just relying on theological knowledge. And actually I saw a lot of that this week now that I think about it. Yeah, Lots of people just pulling answers from what they already knew and most of the time they were right because they've been taught well but they were at a loss to show where it was from the text. Yeah. Um, and so justifying questions brilliant questions to kind of get things going and stretch and hopefully the questions that you're given as as your bible study are kind of modeling that already they're, they're always based on verses it's not just a you know general vibe kind of thing mm. yeah. but i do hasten to add that it's not necessarily always just from the passage you may have a reason that is different you might be applying something theological so don't just assume that the first thing you need to do whenever anybody says something is and where would where, you get that from? What, what verse is that from? Um, you can use it. I wouldn't use it all the time. Um, but you would use it a lot. Uh, there's also redirecting questions, which is... It's kind of like... Uh, no, I don't know. Well, it's similar to what we were discussing just before. I was before, trying to come up with a really good analogy for it. <laughs> well, the, the one in the book here says... Mary, what do you think? <laughs> so, really helpful if you have a Mary in your group. I know that there is one. Um... But if, if, if you don't have a Mary in your group, maybe just change the name. Yeah, that's allowed. That's allowed. <laughs> that's allowed. But it's, instead of you answering or you responding to what someone said, if everyone's kind of looking to you because the expectation is that you'll answer, just yeah. bounce it back off. Yeah, yeah. Return set. Yeah, basically. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't care. <laughs> what do you, actually, maybe, we do maybe. care. Don't do that one. Um, what do you think? And then finally, the fifth set is reflecting um, questions. And it kind of goes along the lines like this. And it really, is, it kind of functions as a clarifying question too. It reflects. So what I think you're saying is this. Um, am I right uh, in saying that? Or you could involve a third person. You can actually get them. So that, that's a really interesting idea. Do you reckon that you could summarize that for me, um, what that person's just said? Oh, that's great. It's like you're reflecting, redirecting, and clarifying. All at the, all same, the time. same question. And then give a reason why that person said that. And maybe build on it a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, and then you've got all of them. So five questions to put in your toolbox. Extending questions, clarifying questions, justifying questions, redirecting questions, and reflecting questions. And I think that'll do us for yeah, leading the group. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Yeah. It should be good. Yeah. I'll let you know next week. Um, but let's shift, and we're going to head into our second section, which is teaching the text. 
Um, so now is the time to pause, read today's passage, which is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 4, verse 13, uh, and then have a go at summarizing the overview box, those four questions. What is the passage about? Why was the passage written? Main point and big question. And I don't know why I'm putting my fingers up as I say that, because none <laughs> of you can see it. Brody's just raised his eyebrows at me. But, you know, I, I talk with my hands. Um, that's something that Lorenzo will appreciate. Um, as and just an between Italian. you doing little uh, <laughs> mouth <laughs> <shapes>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so how about you pause? Uh, and we'll assume now that you're back. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really gave them a lot of time for this. Yeah, let's have a look at the overview box. What have we got, Brody? All right, yeah. Okay, we're into it. So uh, we really like, so Chloe sent through the study this week. Uh, I think she's done a really great job of clarifying uh, what's going on. Here's what we, uh, we thought for the what, the why, the main point, and the big question. The what? God's people are those who listen to the Son and so enter God's rest. Mm. And so do you notice again that we've got this phrase in there, listen to the Son? Um, the author hasn't moved on from his original point that we saw in chapters 1 and chapter 2, where God speaks finally through his Son. And you really see this, I think, in the first six verses of the passage. Um, looking at down, if you want a handy way of breaking things down, Brody and I didn't discuss this, maybe he can disagree, but I think the first six verses are kind of like the overview or the general principle, uh, namely that Jesus is better than Moses. Um, and then you get a section, which is basically the rest of chapter 3, which is the history lesson. What happened in the past when people failed to listen to God? And then he applies it in chapter 4, 1 to 13, by saying, therefore, you need to reply or need to respond to the Son, lest the same thing happens to you. Mm. Uh, so that's just to kind of help you um, uh, orient yourself to the space, because it's quite a large passage for us this week. Um but yeah, uh, what is the passage about? God's people, those who listen to the Son and so enter God's rest. And so the Son in verses 1 to 6 is really important because he compares him to Moses. Mm. Um, and I mean, It's worth saying as well, sorry, uh, yeah, just as you go through, there's actually a few different stages of history that are going on here. So it's talking about Jesus compared with Moses and it goes into kind of the Israelites as they're wandering in the desert just before they enter the promised land. The people rebelled against God and didn't trust God to kick out the people who were in the land already when they were going to go in. So God judged them and said, well, you're not going to enter. It's the next generation that will. But actually, as you go through in chapter 4, and, and even the quote of the psalm, it actually talks about David, who is quite a while after that, mm. and David reflecting on what happened at that moment. So you've actually got three jumps in a way. You've got Moses and the Israelites, then you've got David, and then you've got the author of Hebrews writing to the Hebrews, and then now you've got us. So yeah. it's actually a few yeah. stages, which is worth keeping in mind. Which is also fascinating too, because as an aside, like you'll see that the word today turns up throughout this passage. Um, it, just, it feels like you know, he's just gone on, on a quote mania and he just went, I'm going to quote this thing as many times as possible. And, um, and that today language is really significant because it ties the, all those stages together. Mm. Um, the original rebellion, then David's reflection, and then the Hebrews, and then us. Mm. The today remains the same. It's a bit of a weird uh, way of interpreting the text. I don't Which think is you why see this. I think 4.12 is, is... I think that's part of why it's there. 4.12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why the author can say today, and it still means today, is because God is still speaking through his word. Mm. And of course, this is the most significant thing for our groups to get. Mm. Um, God is speaking. Will you listen? Mm. Sorry. Now, I did... 
I, I distracted you. You're on such a great channel. Oh, it's board. completely fine. It's completely fine. Yeah. And so just to, just by way of quickly um, moving through, the reason he compares Jesus to Moses is because Moses was the one that brought the law. Mm. He was the one who initiated the old covenant, the one who was with the, the rebellious generation who went through the wilderness, um, and the one who died just before the next generation went into the promised land and, so to speak, entered God's rest. More than that, we were talking before about he's kind of... He's the guy, mm. you know. Mm. He's not just, you know, happened to be around at the time. He's like the prophet, the priest, even a kind of a kingly thing almost. You know, he's actually this guy who is, you know, the, what everyone who comes after is modeled on. Yeah, that's true. And if you want the proof text for that, you've got to head over to Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, verse eighteen. It's actually really easy to remember. Deuteronomy eighteen, eighteen, um, where. Moses tells us that God has promised that he will raise up a prophet after him uh, who will be greater than him. Uh, that prophet, of course, is Jesus. And so the thing to get is that Moses really is the figure that stands over all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenant. You've got like the big prophets, the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But as you read those books, they're actually just riffing off what Moses taught in the first five books of the Bible. Um, and so the comparison between Moses and Jesus makes a lot of sense. Mm. Moses was the central pinnacle figure in God's revelation up until that point, until mm. Jesus comes along and spikes So last week we saw how there was a contrast between the angels who brought the Old Testament law and Jesus who's brought, well, yeah, it is Jesus there as well. Mm. Jesus who's brought this new message. Now it seems to be Moses who mediated that old covenant we've, and now we've established that Jesus is the high priest who mediates through this new one as well yeah. so it's again that comparison yep. yeah that's right um, and that's the general principle like listen to Jesus listen to God when he speaks to you through his son mm-hmm. why? because if you remember chapter 1 it is in these last days that he's spoken to us through him and so that's the thing that kind of sits over it all but let's go back to the, the thing. What is the passage about? God's people are those who listen to the Son and so into God's breast. Mm. So the first few verses there, 1 to 6, it's kind of talking about this picture of a household and says, well, Moses, he, he served God. That's pretty good. He served in God's household. But actually, Jesus is the Son over the household. So Jesus' place is even better. But actually, it says that uh, you are the household, or we are the household. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, an, an idea of people there. Uh, and then it moves to this picture of rest as well and uh, it's establishing who is it that actually is the people of God who is it that is the household and is the ones who enjoy the rest well they're the ones that when God speaks they respond by listening hearing obeying Mm. as opposed to the other the opposite side of the coin which is hardening your hearts Mm. and disobeying disobeying disbelieving Mm. Um, and there's this really interesting um, combination of ideas that we won't explain too much here but that go together like belief and obedience Mm. disbelief and disobedience they kind of almost treat it interchangeably along the way which is really interesting there Mm. um which I will may even ask that question a little bit later in the study if you guys have to work out. Even just the um, the language of good news is really interesting too. So the Old Testament Israelites they received a gospel mm. in a way, and then we've received one today as well. And so our, their response compared to ours that's that's the they're analogous. Yeah. And you actually see this at the end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four, where he actually reflects on who was it that heard and rebelled. It was actually those in the wilderness, um, those who God swore would not enter his rest because they'd been disobedient. And then straight after, so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. 
So the two are mixed match, but then you go to the beginning of chapter four, and we're told that the promise of entering his rest still stands. Um, and the good news has come to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were you know uh, they were not united by faith with those who listened. Mm. And so the response of faith to what Christ tells us, um, his message, what God speaks through Jesus, is actually really really significant. And I think that's leading us to the why the passage was I reading. I think so, yeah. Uh, so we've got there as a warning to the readers not to harden their hearts but continue in their faith lest they fail to enter God's rest. That's right. And so the warning really in this passage is don't harden your hearts. When you hear God speak, listen. Don't rebel. Don't put it off. Don't treat it as anything less than the most important thing you've heard. Mm. Because if you do, what ends up happening is you get barred from God's promised rest. Um, now, it's probably helpful at this point just briefly to talk about what that rest is. Mm, it's a um, big topic. We had real difficulty trying to pin this idea down because rest is quite an encompassing idea. Mm. Uh, let's start with a text. Um, I think there are two key ideas that come out. Uh, the first is God's, uh, God's rest is patterned on his own rest when he rested after he created the world. And so you see that in chapter 4, verse 3, 4, uh, and, and the verses that kind of follow it. Um, in other words, there is a sort of a resting from his works. Uh, and so you go down to chapter 4, verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Yeah, so that's that's kind of one element. But the other element is that uh, it's when it's talking about the nation of Israel failing to enter the promised land, the language there is of entering rest. Mm. And so for the Israelites, entering God's rest was actually being in the nation that they were supposed to inherit. Mm and being under God there. And, and settled, mm. I think, and, and safe, if I could put it that way. Because where have they come from? They've just left Egypt. They're in slavery. Where have they just come from? They've been in the wilderness wandering, mm. uh, suffering for 40 years because of their disobedience. Mm. And so the, you've got this kind of double picture of entering God's rest is this beautiful moment of stopping where you no longer have to work, but you can actually settle, be safe, be content, mm. um, and it almost seems like, uh, yeah, there's a there's a deeper meaning that's been going on. So for the the original Israelites, it would have been just being in the nation, being in in, in the land, the promised mm. land. David kind of says, actually, you know, there there's something going on there. They, well, God said they will not enter my rest, and he's talking about not hardening your hearts. And it seems like the author of Hebrews is suggesting. Actually, that's because the rest doesn't come. Yet. Yeah, because remember, David is writing in the promised land. Mm. Uh, and so that's why he says in verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Um, and so the warning to when you hear today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, remains just as true for us as it did for anyone else at the various stages yeah. in salvation history. Um, there is this massive plea to be wise and thoughtful so that you can enter the rest of God. Now, with that in mind, because time's going on, I do want to keep shifting, though, and just get down to the main point and the big question mm. for the passage. Yeah. And we've got here the main point. People must not harden their hearts to Jesus' message, but remain faithful to him. And I think that's just... We've just taken this straight from Chloe. Uh, it, it just captures brilliantly the double-sided uh, warning slash promise that the author is giving to us. Mm. You hear God speaking through Jesus, don't harden, do obey, mm. do continue to have faith. Yeah, um, And it, it seems on the surface as you read through that it's talking about God's word, and it is, 
but we were reflecting on how at the start there's kind of a connection made between Jesus and the Father. So verse chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, Jesus is uh, like the builder of the house, but then actually God is one who's built the house. So there's a connection there. Mm. And before that, remembering the context of the first two chapters, the context is we need to listen to Jesus. Yeah, and it's really interesting actually just to explore that idea. Chapter 1, verse 2, God speaks through the Son. Chapter 2, verse 3, it is the Lord that declares the message. That's Jesus. Mm. And then if you look at chapter 3, verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, yeah, nice. today if you hear his voice. And so there is a, a united speaking of God in all of who he is, playing with us to heed Jesus Christ. And then the word of God itself is living and active in, in verse 12 chapter yeah. 4 as well. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, and so the main point, you, you don't harden your heart when you hear that, that word, but instead remain faithful. And then the big question, of course, is how will you prevent yourself from hardening your heart when Jesus speaks? Because mm. if the warning is to not do it, then you've got to ask the question, how could that happen? Mm. Therefore, how will you stop it from happening? And that's where Chloe's gone in her last question as well. Really just asking that same in thing. In the study, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's spot on um, and the, the best way to apply this passage. Um, there are some thoughts as we kind of look through the passage. They're pretty well self-explanatory. I think the only thing you need to be aware of um, is when it comes to asking the question, what even is God's rest? Um, you will see that um, in question number five uh, as a follow-up question in the leader's notes. Um, it's such an expansive topic. I would encourage you to get them to answer it from the passage. But in terms of drawing the threads together, you may not have time mm. um, or the wider Bible knowledge to do it. So we're going to give you a paragraph there that you can refer to and use mm. um, just to move the, the discussion along. Yeah, you don't want to get distracted by that and yeah. miss the call to obey the words of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and it's on that note, I think it will finish up. Um, I was supposed to pray and yep. model, yep. wasn't I? I did it so, start, so Le Lex, Lex model application um, and what we've learned from the text in prayer. That's um, good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to continue to study your word. And we thank you for these men and women who are faithfully teaching it to other students on campus. Father, we pray for them that as they prepare their studies and, and engage with your word, the word that is living and active, uh, you will give them soft hearts hearts that respond in faith, uh, in belief, and in obedience, rather than hearts that harden themselves to the message and ultimately lead to unbelief and disobedience. Lord, we pray for all of our groups this week that as we see this promise of rest, that we will do everything in our power not to neglect the word of Christ, but instead let it dwell richly within us. Help us to heed his voice when he speaks. Help us, therefore, to have confidence that we will one day enter the rest of God and enjoy eternity with him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you, friends. That was Harold. He's been here the whole time. <laughs>